Good morning, Fresno, and everybody watching on Facebook Live and listening on the podcast. It is a beautiful, well, not really beautiful. It's a cloudy overcast Monday, the 21st of January. I am Jonathan Keller, CEO of California Family Council and your host of the Life, Family, Liberty radio show and podcast. A very happy Martin Luther King Jr. Day to you all, or as it shall be known, I'm sure in California, it'll officially be a holiday soon enough, uh, Kamala Harris Presidential Announcement Day. Yeah, there you go. Kamala, <laughs> almost as significant a historical uh, moment uh, in the history of this country. Kamala Harris being the 8,533rd Democrat running for president in 2020 and Martin Luther King Jr. Yeah, and I hate to say that, John. I, I, I say that very delicately because I in no way want to disrespect the memory and legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King. But if you look at the... I thought you were about to say, I n- in no way want to disrespect the the memory and legacy of Kamala Harris's no. five minutes in no, the United States no. Senate. Not, re- not remotely. I, I think that um, <laughs> any person who is an objective observer would have to agree that Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., the re- oh, I should also say, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who he was a... He, he's not going to listen to this, John. Yeah, it's yeah, okay. You, you're right. You don't, you don't need to That's use true. every he, single title every did, time you talk about him. I, I will say, this is, an, this is a key point, though, that I've talked with some people about, that so often, John, it's, it's very convenient for um, people to refer to Dr. Martin Luther King and conveniently omit the fact that he was, first and foremost, a minister of the gospel and that his... His, you mean he wasn't like an ophthalmologist? No, no, he was not that kind of a doctor. Um, and, and essentially most of his positions regarding the dignity of human life and uh, human rights and civil rights uh, was grounded in the view that there was a transcendent moral law that went beyond the Jim Crow laws of the South. It went beyond the government of the United States, but there was a higher authority that even the mighty United States government was accountable to. I don't know. I'm pretty sure it's only conservative, evil white people who want to force their religion down my throat. Yeah, people like Karen Pence and, you know, people like that. Folks, I I was gone last week. Random children from... Covington, Kentucky. Yes. Or maybe we were, maybe, were we here last week? I don't, yeah, we were here last week. We were here live last week, but it was, um, honestly, I, uh, there is so much to talk about in today's show. I mean, we could, we could probably do, uh, John, uh, we have friends that do longer form radio shows and, uh, there's people on this station. You know, we have our friend, uh, Hugh Hewitt, who does a three hour radio show. We do have Dennis Prager here on talk radio, 1680 KGED. that does a three hour radio show. Only one of them is Jonathan's personal. Friend. Yeah, that's true. Only, only Hugh Hewitt. Although I, I've met Dennis Prager, but, um, the, but Hugh holds the first place. That's in right. Heart. Very much so. But John, a lot of times I look at people like that and I go, how in the world do you fill up stuff with a three hour radio show? Uh, today would be no problem because yeah. I, I was in Washington D.C. last week for the March for Life, and just in the last I'll week, go ahead, brag about it. Yeah, well, no. I'm just it, it was nice to go see all of your classmates who I had no idea who they were at the Notre Dame reception. So oh, was, there you go. It was. I did see some people that knew your brother apparently, and, and uh, graduated with him. And oh, okay. I, I of course don't remember their names now, so I I failed well, in passing along greetings. All the, all the law school, all the law school people probably remember my brother. Yeah, and that he was, you know. Literally second in his class oh, at wow. Notre Dame Law. Like, yeah, not not exaggerating. Like, he was like a smart very guy, very close to being like valedictorian level. Wow. Yeah. Well, at, 
as if I didn't feel inadequate enough when I hang out well, with your family. I mean, you, you, <laughs> I mean, try being also a Notre Dame graduate lawyer who was not uh, who was not of a similar academic stature well, in Notre there you Dame go. Law School. <laughs> well, it was I was not second in my class. <laughs> it was, I might have been second from the bottom of my class. <laughs> it it was a really great event. There was so much that happened. Um, I was I was joking with some people on the day of the March for Life, post the march itself. Um, I personally attended no fewer than five after parties slash receptions. Um, well, and that must be why my daughter Madeline, who's watching the show, her quote is, Jonathan looks older today. Oh, well, <laughs> unfortunately, Madeline, you're probably right. Um, it could be it could be the glasses. He's, he's dying slowly I'll take every off, day. I'll take off my Clark Kent glasses, and maybe maybe I will look not quite as old now. But yeah. the um, John, I was telling my wife that it really it's a Protestant is Protestant youth pastor. It it is kind of like the the Super Bowl and the Oscars for the pro life movement, kind of all rolled into one. Because yes, you have indeed. this huge, massive event that somehow manages to get um, virtually no media coverage. And <laughs> and I didn't actually think it was possible, John, for the March for Life to get. You know, usually it's it's no coverage is good coverage, but literally in this case, and we're going to talk about this. All of the coverage was terrible. Yes, they they literally tried to find the the okay. Let's see. We we really don't want to acknowledge that there were hundreds of thousands of people that were marching in peacefully and kindly protesting. We, we can't really talk about that. But is there some angle? Is there some way that we could maybe try to slander literally the the hundreds of thousands of men, women, and yes, little tiny babies, including our our, our mutual friend Ryan Anderson. He and his wife Anna were out there marching with their son, who shares your son's name. Uh, Jack. Oh, really? Yeah, right. they, they were out there marching right there on the steps of the Supreme Court. I mean, there was literally so many babies, so many families. I mean, hundreds of other schools and high schools and colleges that were mm. all there. And they managed to find the one story and twisted in such a way that it seemed to misrepresent people who are conservative and pro-life. Well, so, of course, we're talking about. I say, of course, as if everyone listening to yes. this has. You, you all spent all weekend on to, Twitter, right? You, well, yeah, you were all yeah. Just, uh, this is assuming that everyone on this show is hooked up to Twitter via an IV. Yes, um, like like me, what, like Jonathan. Yes, not like me. I managed to like completely. Did ignore you actually this delete story. your Twitter account? No, it's still there. But you, did you delete the app from your phone? I deleted the app from. Yeah, my well, phone. see, that's that's basically the same thing. Yeah, <laughs> and and so basically, I missed the entire. So there was a story about. A group of high school kids, Catholic high school kids from Covington, Kentucky, who allegedly were mean to an elderly Native American man who was hitting a drum. Um, yes. He, this was the way the story was pitched originally. A selectively edited video of this incident was Sele- published select- hither and yon. Selectively edited. Um, deceptively edited. Deceptively edited, yeah. yes. You know, it, um, it, it's funny, John, just, I, I have to I have to say on that side note, it's amazing to me, just as a side note, because I saw- That our, wasn't our, deceptively yes. edited, but all of David Blyden's yes. videos. <laughs> yes. I saw, I saw a- Which uh, we can talk about later in the show, I think. I, I, I saw- I think that a, deserves a segment. I saw a, a, a group of people, obviously it was great news. Again, folks, we could do probably three, four, five hours today because the we won't even have time to barely talk about the Fifth Circuit ruling out of the Texas Circuit Court of Appeals. Um, the fact that they definitively, in a court of law, said, no, the David Daleiden Center for Medical Progress videos were not deceptively edited. But the thing that's amazing to me, John, is that when those videos came out, Planned Parenthood said, oh, they're deceptively edited. And, yeah, if you go look at the full tape, you know, you can see that there's all this exculpatory evidence, blah, blah, blah. Even though 
they published the full tape, yes. and there isn't a bunch no. of exculpatory no. evidence. And I, I, I hate to say this, but some people on on Twitter, I, sh- I shared some of these videos with people, and I was like, th- "There's literally a two-hour video that I, I I watched through, and there's a lot of <laughs> there's a lot of evidence, and there's so many different camera angles and everything else. There's literally probably." And this is for the the kids, for the kids from Covington. Oh. Right. There, there's so much evidence. And some of the response that I saw from people was, oh, I have better things to do. I don't have time to watch all that video. And I was like... Well, you have enough time to get on Twitter and blast a bunch of yes. children. Yeah, and you have for, enough... You <laughs> have for being enough. racist on, on the basis of a two-minute edited video, and, but, but and, not enough time to actually watch yes. through it before... And, and you had people flip side from New York Times or The Atlantic or Huffington Post or whatever who would watch meticulous... I watched all the David Delighton, all the Center for Medical Progress video. Here's what they didn't show you. Yeah. So anyway, anyway. C- continue with the story. But it, it seemed like... So there was, I guess, some confrontation, not even a confrontation, between these children from a Catholic high school in Covington, Kentucky. And again, we're talking about children. 14 to 17-year-olds. Okay. Uh, And it seemed like they were being mean or rude or insensitive to a very elderly Native American man. Which Which is wrong. Which prompted, one, a bunch of liberals to say, oh, this is terrible. How dare these children? They ought to be expelled. And to my great annoyance, (laughs) a bunch of self-flagellation from a bunch of pro-life people who maybe should have known better than to immediately assume that this was exactly the, like Robert George. Even I love Robert George. Yes. I, I but like the idea that he immediately started self-flagellating and calling for these kids to be expelled. Uh, and a and, lot, and their and own not, not their own diocese, the, yeah, the school itself, the, the diocese. diocese. Yeah, like it, it was, it was such nonsense. Where and here's the main point though. The media is pushing—anytime you have stories, news stories, that are focusing on items of personal interaction, personal, immediate interaction, the media does not have to publish them because they are not in and of themselves important. They are only important insofar as they relate to larger, broader societal themes, okay? And the media picks and chooses which of these— little personal interaction type stories that happen all over the country every day, which of these are going to be promoted to being hugely significant talking points and narrative, narrative narrative builders. The news is where you look, as they say. So there is one reason and one reason only why this insignificant exchange, which even if you assume the absolute worst in this, basically the point of this is to make pro-lifers to indicate Pro-lifers are a bunch of racists. Yep. Pro-lifers are just a bunch of MAGA hat-wearing racists. They just it's hate, a, it's they just hate any people of color. It's just a bunch of white males from trying Kentucky. to assert their privilege and dominance. That That is the point of making it a news story at all. Yep. It's a narrative builder. because it, And guess what? No political movement should be judged as a whole based on the actions of literally the stupidest population of human beings on planet Earth, namely teenage boys. Okay, <laughs> I bet some of those teenage boys told dirty jokes on yep. the bus ride over to the March for Life. Yep. I'm not going to apologize for that either. Even if they did all these things, I don't have to apologize for it. There's no racism problem in the pro-life movement. Are there individual pro-lifers who are racist? Yeah, sure. probably. There are also, I might note, 
I would say there's a bigger racism problem. At the with, head. With a certain other march that happened the next day, yep. the Women's March, due to the fact that many of the key organizers of the Women's March have embraced positions that are pretty openly anti-Semitic. And don't take our word for it, everybody. Don't take John's word for it. Take the word of Debbie Wasserman Schultz, the, the former <laughs> head of the, DNC. of the DNC, the Democratic National Committee, during the 2016 election campaign when Hillary Clinton was running for president. Debbie Wasserman Schultz was the hand-picked person to run that. Debbie Wasserman Schultz, John, I don't know if you saw this, it wrote a USA Today op-ed saying why I will not be marching with the Women's March. Right. I mean, and, and that's the, the DNC officially withdrew their sponsorship over charges of anti-Semitism. And, and let me let me let me throw this out: How many little personal interaction type things do you think the media could have gotten from some of these sort of Nation of Islam types at the Women's March saying something bad about Jews? Right. I bet you could have found something, but. The point is that they are looking for these little personal interest, human interaction, one-on-one -on -one individual stories that in and of themselves are not national significant news things, but no. they are narrative builders. Yes. So that is where media bias lies. And John, I think it would be fair. I understand that it's very tempting as conservatives and for liberals, for, for everybody. It's very tempting for us to try to find the worst example of our opponent's argument and exploit it. Um, sure. I, I do think that it would probably be unfair if there was a small group of – this is not me making the, this up. This is the actual name of the group that was on the video that was attacking the boys, the Black Hebrew Israelites. Um, that I, I, I've okay. never heard of this group before, but apparently they're, they're very prominent they're in, thing. on the East Coast uh, in certain cities. Um, it would be unfair for us to characterize the entire Women's March if there was four of those people or a group of those people. But not when the literally the head of it has praised Louis Farrakhan as the greatest ever. He's probably not the greatest ever. He, yeah. <laughs> He's sort yeah. of a huge anti-Semite. Yeah. Okay, folks. Like I said, this is going to be a jam-packed show. We'll be back in just a few minutes on today's episode of Life, Family, Liberty. Welcome back to Life, Family, Liberty here on Talk Radio 1680. I am your host of the Life, Family, Liberty show by California Family Council, Jonathan Keller, CEO, and happy to be joined in studio. John, I, I don't think I introduced you in the last segment. I apologize. John Girardi, Executive Director of Right to Life of Central California, RTLCC.org. Thanks for being with us, everybody. And um, yeah, as we just told our friend Guillermo Moreno, who normally has a show on this fine radio station, uh, we are very fired up this morning because there is there is so much. I mean, John, literally, we could easily do an entire show on um, the the Covington High School boys. We could do an entire show just on the positive aspects of the March for Life. We could do an entire show on Kamala Harris and her radical pro-abortion record as she's jumping into the presidential race today. We could do a whole show about the much more important than any of those things, Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals decision yep. on the David Delighton videos and the decision by the state of Texas not to fund uh, Planned Parenthood through its state Medicaid program, which is actually tangibly the most important pro-life news of the whole week. <laughs> we, we could also do an update on the Department of Health and Human Services and the fact that they issued re revised guidance from our, our friend who works in the Office of Civil Rights telling California that, hey, um, 
you better knock it off with any type of attempts to afford, uh, uh, enforce the Reproductive Fact Act. Oh, okay. Uh, I don't know if you saw that. This was I, I it, it got buried that. down the list in all these different shows. There was uh, there was basically a story where they said right now the state of California is enjoined from by the Nifla v. Becerra five four decision. They cannot enforce the Reproductive Fact Act mm-hmm. that attacked pregnancy care centers, but. The Office of Civil Rights essentially said, if you even try to enforce it, then we're going to bring the full power, the regulatory and investigative power of the Department of Health and Human Services to bear because you will be violating the Weldon Amendment. And it is actually, John, the first time from the people that I spoke with at OCR, the Office of Civil Rights, uh, that it's the first time that the Weldon Amendment has actually been enforced enforced against a state. The Weldon Amendment, again, is this piece of federal law that says that states are not allowed to discriminate against healthcare plans or healthcare providers based on a failure to provide abortion coverage. Um, and the problem with the Weldon Amendment is that it says this, but there's not a very, there's n- no very good enforcement mechanism to it. Uh, basically, if you violate the Weldon Amendment, the federal government's only option is to completely withdraw all of your Medicaid funding, which no one's willing to do. Um, but a lot of states, including California, violate the Weldon Amendment all the time. California does this by requiring that every single health insurance plan sold in the state has to cover abortion. So basically discriminating against every and any health care plan that doesn't cover abortion. Um, so it's good to see that the federal government, at least in this case, with the backing of a Supreme Court decision behind yep. them, is willing to fight against the Weldon Amendment. And, John, I'll tell you— uh, To support the Weldon Amendment. Wh- when I asked this unnamed uh, member of the Office of Civil Rights at HHS, uh, I said, you know, that's great. I'm really excited about this, but, you know, when are you guys going to get around to finally suing my state about the fact that I can't buy health insurance in my state that doesn't cover elective surgical abortion? And this, this uh, individual looked at me and said— very coyly with a smirk. I have no comment on that at this time. Aha. Uh-huh. Okay. So uh, we might we might be seeing something else come down the pike here in the next few weeks I or a so. few months. So, I hope so. Um, they, you know, the the wheels of justice, especially at the um, administrative state level, grind slowly. But yes, indeed. Um, to quote the person whose day this is in the federal calendar, uh, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. So again, so that's another thing, John, we could talk about, again, Martin Luther King, we could talk about his uh, view of civil rights, his niece, Alveda King, uh, who is the director of uh, outreach for Priests for Life. She Mm -hmm. offered the closing prayer at the March for Life. Uh, which was really a phenomenal prayer. If you guys, if you guys get a chance, I strongly encourage you go online and watch the March for Life. Um, the The rally was amazing. They it started with Ben Shapiro recording his podcast live from the stage. Uh, a good friend of ours who who has a podcast. Um, well, I shouldn't say friend, but someone who has a podcast. Have you, uh, have we literally ever met him? I have met him. Okay, I have met him. But and he did he did he did pat my son's head when we got a picture with him. Oh, so that's, good. that's okay. yeah. Uh, but yeah, he he gave a great speech there at the March for Life. And then John, it was it was not originally on the docket. We did not know this, but there was a surprise appearance from Vice the President Veep. Mike Pence. Yeah, um, he and it was great. Uh, you know, kind of tongue in cheek, but fun. Um, the president of the March for Life, Jeannie Mancini, said, I'd like to welcome to the stage one of my favorite pro-lifers in the country, Karen and her husband, Mike. Oh, that's fine. It was it was really sweet. But uh, Karen Pence actually spoke first. Uh, she talked about the importance of the pro-life issue and why it matters so much to her and to Vice President Pence, um, why it was one of the main reasons why they got involved in politics to begin with. 
And um, it, it was amazing for me, John, just to see the contrast. Um, Vice President Pence met the night before the March for Life with actually a group of students from Fresno, uh, including our, our own Bernadette Tacey. Oh, man. Bernadette, Bernadette must just have such an enormously inflated ego at this point. I, I, I you know, John, it's, it's fantastic. She's I, just unbearable. She, she's probably not listening to this, but it was so great because after she posted the photo of her um, with uh, the vice president, she was actually very humble about it. She, she did not post the photo for several days. She um, wasn't humble to me about it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I told her I was extremely jealous, and um, but it, it was great. She, um, John, you know our friend Wynette Sills from Californians for Life. Mm-hmm. Um, Wynette saw that photo and she said, Bernadette, I think you need to run for assembly in California. <laughs> and very quickly, um, uh, Kristen Hawkins from Students for Life says, I think this is a very good idea. <laughs> and then Shannon Campbell from the Pregnancy Care Center here in town said, I would vote for you. And yeah, then you and go. then David B. Wright said, yes, 100%, go Bernadette. So I <laughs> screenshotted that and sent it to Bernadette. And she, she replied, absolutely not no way she said i'm bernadette tacy and i do not approve this message <laughs> so yeah right it's yeah i'm i'm just i'm just saying you know you you maybe maybe tacy 2020 she can, or, she can she can just be our figurehead for yeah. stealth takeover yeah, of the california yeah, assembly um but it it really was an amazing event i encourage you to go and watch because the speeches and the stories um john I, I realize that we March have for life is the best. It, it really is a great event. And I, I know we have a lot of consternation with very often with a lot of stuff that comes out of the federal government, whether it is from and, and the state government. I mean, elected officials, John, there, there are very few elected officials that I wholesale support and, and agree with on every issue. Um, you and I both have obviously had uh, frustrations with the current uh, occupant of 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. But to see the difference that it makes to have a genuinely, authentically, vocally pro-choice, pro, excuse me, pro-life president in the White House. Makes um, a big difference. It, it, it's amazing. Um, in addition to Vice President Pence speaking, he shared a video address to the march from President Trump. And this is something, I'll just say again, that we would not have if another candidate would have won the election in 2016. That is definitely true. Okay, folks, more to talk about on this. We will circle back and talk about the Covington High School kids on today's episode of Life, Family, Liberty. Welcome back to Life, Family, Liberty, a radio show and podcast here on Talk Radio 1680. I'm your host, Jonathan Keller. Happy to be with you and to be joined in studio by my good friend, John Girardi. Good to be here. The CEO or executive director of Right to Life Central California. Yeah. I might be getting some new title now that we're forming Obria. Because I, we've got those. So for those of you on Power Talk who don't know, Right to Life Central California is forming the Obria Medical Clinics of Central California, which will be a new uh, pro-life pregnancy resource medical clinic. Uh which will be, we're going to try to start it near Fresno State, and we're going to try to offer, in addition to ultrasounds and pregnancy tests, uh, more and other kinds of medical services. So uh, STD, STI testing, um, well woman exams, cancer screenings, all kinds of full prenatal health care. The idea being to have a pro-life alternative to Planned Parenthood 
uh, and offering all of these medical services from a loving pro-life perspective. So uh, rtlcc.org slash obria if you want to learn more about it, O-B-R-I-A. And since I'm kind of going to be in charge of both of these things, I think I might at some point get some new title like Grand Poobah of <laughs> pro-life stuff. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm not exactly sure what it is, but that that's that's going to be my job. So, I, I like it. That's good. Go. I like the Grand Poobah title. So. Yeah, there you go. Um, so we've been talking, John, about, as I said before in a previous thing, I said that this week is kind of like the Super Bowl and the Grammys or the Oscars all put together where for you have pro-life stuff. for pro-life stuff. Um, when you go back there, there are literally probably 15, 20 different receptions and events. And you've got stuff from Susan B. Anthony list and national right to life and the March for life and all this different stuff that happens back there. Family research council and focus on the family, evangelicals for life, all sorts of cool stuff that happens back there in DC. And it, it is great because it gives an opportunity for the pro-life movement to show how broad and diverse uh, the movement is and to talk about all the different facets of the pro-life movement that are working to end legalized abortion in the United States. Um, John, I, I, I just think maybe this would be a good point for you to put on your lawyer hat because we've been we've been riding the, the, the outrage train over some of these crazy stories for the last two segments. But I think something that sometimes we forget is why it is so important. My Our, our friend, uh, Ed Hurlbut, who used to be the director at Right to Life Central California, he would always impress upon me why it was so important that we oppose legal abortion, Um, not just as a theoretical um, procedure. Um, Obviously, human trafficking is illegal, and we oppose it. Sure. Abortion is legal, and we oppose it. Why why is there the distinction that it's so important that we make a, a case about abortion being a immoral law that is in effect or an immoral policy that is in effect. Right. Well, it kind of relates to something like um, think about slavery. What was the problem with slavery? Was the problem with slavery that slave owners were not nice people? No. The problem with slavery was chiefly that regardless of whether a slave owner was nice or not nice, every slave owner had the right legally under law to beat and murder and rape and split up the families of his slaves. Um, there were laws in place where the state was basically saying, we recognize that there is this subset of the human population living in the southern United States, and we are not going to give them any protection under law to affirm their basic human dignity. If someone beats them up, they can't prosecute that person who beat them up. They can't sue that person who beat them up. Uh, They can't protect themselves against that person who wants to beat them up. So... By depriving a whole class of human beings of these basic conditions of justice, so basic protection against acts of violence against you, by doing that under law, you're you're attacking these people's fundamental human dignity. So it's not a question of—the abolitionists were not out to change the hearts and minds of slave owners. Right. I mean, that would have been nice. Yes. But the key—but that's not—you know, you can try changing hearts and minds all you want. Human nature is still human nature— and people are still going to be bad. And as long as slavery is still legal in the South, you're going to have slaves having a bad time. And that's the point with legalized abortion. It is a analogous situation. You have a whole subset of the human population who does not have any protection from a very gruesome act of private violence that results in their being killed. And until you do that, you can try changing hearts and minds all you want— 
And that's a good thing. And certainly on the individual level, we got to work to do that and to help women who are facing difficult pregnancies to make the right choice and to provide them with the resources they need to to make that right choice and to you know have happy and productive lives afterwards. That's why we at Right to Life are starting a medical clinic specifically for that purpose. But still, we need to fight to make abortion unlawful because it is it involves attacks on the basic demands of justice that every single human person deserves. And John, I want to, again, since it is Martin Luther King Jr. Day, there is a very appropriate quote to this uh, discussion. And, and a lot of times you hear people, especially when it comes to the March for Life, and you see this huge presence in Washington, D.C., and you see an address from uh, Vice President Pence, and you see a, a video address from uh, President Trump, and you see someone who is maybe considered to be a little bit more partisan, although I think he's more conservative than Republican, certainly, and someone like Ben Shapiro, you, you sometimes hear our friends that are maybe pro-life Democrats or consistent life advocates uh, will say things like, well, like you said, John, we, what's really important is you can't legislate morality. You have to change hearts first. That's the really important thing that we have to do. And, and people recognize that. I mean, look at the nonviolence of Gandhi and the nonviolence of Martin Luther King Jr. Okay. Time, time out. Time out. Um, because it is Martin Luther King Jr. Day, and we're talking about the legality of abortion, uh, to my knowledge, from everything that I've seen, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. did not directly ever address abortion itself. I, I've not seen anything specific where there's an exact quote. Mm-hmm. But he talked so much about the role of the law in a, a teaching capacity, a pedagogical capacity. Uh, and this is the quote, one of my favorite quotes from him, uh, taken from his address to Western Michigan University, December 18th, 1963. He says, quote, now the other myth that gets around is the idea that legislation cannot really solve the problem and that it has no great role to play in this period of social change because you've got to change the heart and you can't change the heart through legislation. You can't legislate morals. The job must be done through education and religion. Well, there's a half truth involved here. Certainly, if the problem is to be solved, then in the final sense, hearts must be changed. Religion and education must play a great role in changing the heart. But we must go on to say that while it may be true morality cannot be legislated, behavior can be regulated. It may be true that the law cannot change the heart, but it can restrain the heartless. It may be true that the law cannot make a man love me, but it can keep him from lynching me, and I think that's pretty important also. So there is a need for executive orders. There is a need for judicial decrees. There's a need for civil rights legislation on the local scale within states and on the national scale from the federal government. If I were an obnoxious millennial and a frequent Twitter user, I would say either boom with a period at the end or mic drop yes. in some form or another. But he's 100% correct. Like yep. that, that, And that's the best explanation of it possible, that we're dealing with questions of basic justice and for the state to just take this conscientious observer or you know this conscientious objector role and say, oh, well, we're not going to enforce anyone's decisions one way or another. No, right. no, no. These decisions that people are making are infringing upon the basic obligations of justice that we owe to a whole segment of the human population. So, yeah, the law can't make another man love me, but it can keep him from lynching me and or aborting me. Right. So. Right. And that's a key situation. Um, not to say that we don't have compassion, not to say that we don't work with great groups like Obria and pregnancy, pregnancy care centers all across the state and around the country. But there has to be a moral component to it as well, or a, a, a legal, legal component. component. Exactly. Okay, folks, we're going to come back. Man, so much to talk about. It's already the fourth segment. Stay tuned. 
tune back in if you're watching on Facebook Live, and we'll be back on Life, Family, Liberty. Welcome back to Life, Family, Liberty. I'm your host, Jonathan Keller. Happy to be back with you on today's final segment of the show. Uh, John, there was there was so much this stuff this week. We're, we're probably going to have to reference back to this week and all the stuff that was released and announced <laughs> for several uh, shows moving forward. Probably. Uh, it's, yeah, just tons of stuff to talk about. Uh, as I said to you in the break, we didn't even barely get a chance because it's slightly outside the pro-life issue. We barely even got a chance to talk about Karen Pence being attacked in the um, Washington yeah. media for essentially being a Christian. Yeah, yeah. Um, she's she's going back to teach at the same school she apparently used to teach at when Vice President Pence was then Congressman Pence. Mm-hmm. Um, she used to teach art at this Christian school just outside D.C., and she's going back to teach. And all of a sudden, the uh, the news media is saying, "Oh my gosh, she's How teaching dare at a, she? a school that." thinks homosexuality is uh, homosexual activity is is immoral like yes. what what is it is it like they must read the bible or something and, and literally john this is a school the thing that david french said uh, on twitter that that is sadly like horrifyingly true he said this whole thing about karen pence would be laughable except for the fact that now it feels like the um the media slash progressive social justice warrior eye of sauron is going to turn its focus onto every christian school in the country oh yeah and i but between both this thing with karen pence and between the covington high school kids uh, john i saw this i saw this slightly terrifying thing that someone very quickly within less than 24 hours put together they put together this entire dossier on the Covington High School, not the kids themselves. They said, well, they're minors, so I'm not going to do that. But they said, I went online, and I downloaded all the information. I looked at all their social media posts. I went on their website and downloaded the directory of all the the teachers. And it's obvious uh, at this school, all the teachers are white. And there's this huge problem of, you know, uh, white supremacy and racial superiority, or which without ever having actually attended the school, without ever looking at the class list, just based on the color of the skin of the people. Uh, so I, I think, John, that there's a chance now because of how easy it is to get some of this information online that you're going to start seeing aggressive social justice warriors going and basically um, attacking Christian schools. Oh, yeah. Catholic schools around the country for just adhering to a basic orthodox view of, home, of human sexuality and of uh, the sanctity of human life. Yeah, I, I mean, I even worry about that with, you know, some of these initiatives we're wanting to do at Right to Life Central California. I, I mean, I worry about, you know, there's certain things we are thinking about doing that might make Planned Parenthood more angry at us than normal. Um, yes. And the sort of Antifa types in the city of Fresno that I know exist. Um, there's some things we've been thinking about doing where we have to factor that in. Yep. And I, I've been thinking, like, you know, what if, you know, how well have I, you know, guarded my digital footprint? I mean, yeah. if, if they really wanted to, could these people find my address? Sure. Could they find, you know, where my, you know, where my family lives? Yeah. Uh, and I think that that is because of this attitude that so many people on the left have that they don't view pro-life advocacy as well. It's one political position out of two. Yeah. Um, they view it as you are literally causing women to die you are literally attacking them yes. by holding this position 
So some of us in the Antifa movement, by taking that to its, unfortunately, I think it's kind of logical conclusion, uh, are basically of the opinion, well, we are, maybe we should beat you up and maybe yes. we should, you know, dox you and uh, take all your personal information and publicize it. Um, so it, it, it's it's something that's already started happening on a small scale. Right. And I worry about what things will look like 10 years from now. Um, if we continue on this trend of more and more people saying, no, basically uh, a, a little orthodox Christian belief about whether it be life, whether it be uh, the natural family, uh, that these holding those kinds of positions are not, you know, it, it's not an acceptable position anymore in public society. And it's actually a hostile and violent position to take. Uh, if that gains more and more credence over the next five or 10 years, I'm sort of afraid of what things will look like, you know, 10 years from now, even, yes. even for myself, so, sort of selfishly for myself, but also more broadly for, um, for Christians throughout the country. Yeah. And I, and I will say, John, there, I won't read the whole thread, but there was a, uh, David French retweeted something, uh, uh, yesterday morning that said, read this thread or yesterday evening, read this thread. This is America today. Malicious people act on partial information. Well, well, and I should say the thread that he's talking about is from the brother, a guy named Andrew Hodge, who said, yesterday was supposed to be a day of celebration for my middle brother who got married. Instead, my family had to deal with the fallout of my youngest brother being falsely accused for standing and smiling in front of an indigenous man with a drum. So th the individual here, it was apparently not the man who was actually standing there. And it says... People then proceeded to spam my family with harassments and threats of physical violence. We find out our parents' address was posted online. If that wasn't enough, our family-operated business has been slandered and attacked. Um, no one reviews evidence or does any due diligence. They immediately escalate things to a state of frenzy over much of nothing. The zealots scream for the head of hashtag Michael Hodge, knowing there will be zero consequences if anything happens to them. Yeah. So David French says, this is America today. Malicious people act on partial information and then do what they can to try to ruin a young man's life, ruin his family's business, and even put them in fear for their lives. It's disgusting. It's evil. And, and I will say, John, um, it was absolutely wrong and disgusting when people who might agree with you and me on certain political positions threatened and tried to dox uh, Christine Blasey Ford uh, for testifying yeah. about Brett Kavanaugh. Um, don't dox people. Nope. Don't nope. publish people. But don't publish anyone's personal info. Don't publish Thre threatening yeah. threatening people for physical violence or threatening people because they take a political position different than you, um, even because they testify about something in uh, Congress. <laughs> that that is never an excuse ever to attack somebody or to dox them or to make certainly to incite threats of physical violence against them. Um, so Dang, if, if, you, if you're a progressive and you thought it was bad when it happened to Dr. Blasey Ford, you should be consistent. We're consistent. You should be consistent and say it's wrong to do to anybody, especially 16-year-old boys. Yeah. Okay, so John, anyway. we have five minutes left. We have so much more we could talk about, but I, I do think it's really important to talk about this Fifth Circuit decision. Okay, so the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, which is the circuit, I believe it has Texas and a couple of other, uh, Texas and Louisiana, so this is one of the regional circuit, federal circuit courts that are one click below the, the U.S. Supreme Court. They heard a case in which uh, the state of Texas had decided that they were going to disqualify Planned Parenthood as being eligible 
for receiving their state's version of Medicaid, for, from receiving Medicaid funding for their services. Texas had disqualified Planned Parenthood, and Texas has broad, most states have pretty broad discretion, according to the laws on the books go- governing this, Texas has broad discretion to determine who is and is not eligible and why they are or are not eligible. And Texas had cited some of the undercover videos from David Daleiden to say, yes, we think Planned Parenthood has acted in bad faith, that they have done some bad things. We don't want them to be recipients of public funding. We're going to direct this funding to someone else. This was challenged in the courts. And bizarrely, in most in a lot of states where this is where this kind of thing is challenged, a lot of these circuit courts will look at these statutes that say, oh, states have pretty broad discretion here, and then somehow magically come to the conclusion that no, actually, states don't have broad discretion anymore, and that uh, Planned Parenthood must be funded until kingdom come because abortion. Uh, The Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals upheld Texas's right to decide for itself whether or not uh, they're going to continue funding Planned Parenthood. So that's the really important thing. But one of the interesting things as the court reached this decision was its review of some of the factual evidence, or its analysis, its discussion of some of the factual evidence in which they they noted that, no, it does not look like David Daleiden's, uh, there, there's evidence, there's strong evidence indicating that David Daleiden's videos were not deceptively edited or yep. selectively edited or whatever. And this co- counters the constant insistent media narrative that David Daleiden's videos were selectively and deceptively edited to show things they didn't actually show. Even though there's no evidence of doctoring to the footage, and even though David Daleiden posted on his website the full, uncut, unedited versions of every single one of his videos that anyone can review at any time. So, this media narrative, this has been, I think, the biggest example, like, Obviously, the media is biased all the time. They do all kinds of biased stuff. Yes. This this whole Kentucky thing, really all of the coverage of the March for Life this year was really more so than prior years, I think, pretty aggressively bad. Yes. Um, and negative. But this, I think, is the clearest example because they are flat out lying. They, they are. are flat out yep. just saying, we're just going to repeat a Planned Parenthood talking point and, yep. and call it news, where they, in every news story about this topic, they just say... His videos were deceptively or selectively edited, and yep. and and that's it. Even though there's no evidence that they were, they are just simp- the media has just simply accepted that they are going to repeat this Planned Parenthood talking point. So it's I mean it's really outrageously bad behavior on the part of the media, and I'm glad that the Fifth Circuit is actually shining some reality on this and saying no, th- these videos are not deceptively edited like they they're they're showing what they're showing and they're yep. not doctored and yep. and that's it well so john the uh, I, I hope especially because david delighton's uh preliminary hearing is going to be coming up i think next month and uh, we really want to make sure that we support him we're going to give more information about that so uh, john that's something i didn't even get a chance to tell you i didn't get to tell you that for the david delighton case there is a big development there because Freedom of Conscience Defense Fund is going to be deposing almost 20 key employees from Planned Parenthood. Nice. And they're going to be taking sworn statements. And Planned Parenthood is very, very nervous because perjury is a crime. Yes. (laughs) And if they lie in a sworn deposition, uh, they could go to jail. 
that people could go to jail and there could be more congressional hearings and, yep. and more bad stuff could result. So it's going to be very interesting. I, I do want to close with one thing, John. In the minute we have left, I, we got a comment on the video from Wynette Sills, our friend in Sacramento. She reminds us that the state and the state assembly and the state senate is going to be voting on resolutions SR seven and AB six, I believe, or AR six. These are the two that are celebrating Roe v. Wade. And we do want to encourage, I know that our, our friend Jim Patterson is going to be solid on this issue, uh, but we have a freshman senator, uh, State Senator Andreas Borges, who we know is pro-life. Mm -hmm. uh, so we just encourage him if he's listening, and we encourage you, if you're listening, call his office at the Capitol. Just encourage him, say, I'm a constituent or I'm from the area. I, I encourage you, please vote no on SR7. You can call his Capitol office at 916-651-4008. Be respectful. He is a, a pro-life friend and just say thank you. We encourage you vote no on SR7. John, we'll, we'll be back again next week. I'm Jonathan Keller. I'm John Girardi. Thanks for joining us on today's episode of Life, Family, Liberty. God bless.